0: Exciting news, part one of our Women in Supply Chain series is live with Ellen, the founder of Women in Trucking, and we're talking about the importance of mentorship and and women in leadership. You're not going to want to miss this one, so go check out episode 65. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Welcome back to all our Two Babes
1: listeners. As of July 1st, 2018, the Canadian government is looking to legalize marijuana in Canada and distribute it via their government-owned liquor stores. With the increase in production of cannabis everywhere and the increase in consumption for medical use, There are a lot of questions about the rules, the regulations, transportation, and so much more. Now we won't have all the answers and info on today's show, but we will have a starting point. And as we continue to watch how this unfolds, we will be talking about this again. So here today with us again is Dan Demers from International Documents Canada. Dan was last on Episode 64 talking about the importance of authenticating your international documents. So make sure to check out that episode on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or our website at 2 forward slash episode dash one of the reasons why we're bringing him back is because he is also the VP of Public Affairs at the National Institute for Cannabis Health and Education. So, Dan, welcome back to the show. We're really excited to get talking about the cannabis supply chain.
2: Hi, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I think it's a, it's a very timely issue for sure.
1: All right. So let's get started. What are you seeing in the world of cannabis?
2: Well, I I think the first thing to remember is that Canada is the first major country to legalize uh, the recreational use of cannabis. And therefore, we're trying to figure out the rules. Uh, I've had many, many uh, other countries contact us to say, how is Canada doing this? Uh, In fact, I had somebody from the Colombian government call me and ask, and I thought it was rather ironic that the Colombians were asking Canadians about uh, marijuana. But it's clear that as a country that's providing the leadership, we're setting the rules as we go along. So what we're seeing right now in cannabis is there's been a lot of focus on production, on the ability to get a license to produce, and the ability uh, to produce and supply for the medical, medical cannabis users. There's also a lot of activity around how, what is the distribution going to look like, how old do you have to be to buy it, where can you buy it. But the piece that's really been missing, and this is where people are really starting to focus is, okay, well, if we have the overarching rules, how does that actually work in the real world? How do I shift my cannabis from my production facility to a government facility, and then from a government facility to distribution and then to the client? So what we're finding now is that while the broad policy topics are being discussed and are being addressed, the nitty-gritty of how this actually happens, what are the regulations, what are the standards, what are the acceptable business practices, all of that is being figured out. And as I mentioned, Because Canada's first, nobody's ever done this before. And so Canada's really breaking some ground and trying to set up the regulatory and legal frameworks for the production, distribution, not just consumption, but the production and distribution, which I think is really important to Canadian businesses. So if I was in, for example, in the trucking industry, the question I would have is, what rules do I need to adhere to in order to make sure that I can take a cannabis product from a producer to a government facility and then have it distributed. So those real-world problems, given that the it's very likely the government will legalize recreational cannabis yeah. by July 1st of this year, there's a lot of companies scrambling right now trying to figure out what do I need to do to certify my staff, certify my processes, are there standards I need to do adhere to, is the government going to introduce new regulations? What are those regulations? How can we be part of that process uh, what's the new framework we are all going to have to live under in as little as six months? So it's, uh, we've gone from talking about it as a broad societal issue to now we're really getting into what are the legal and regulatory issues that have to be addressed in order to make sure that while this industry can grow and thrive in Canada, we're still protecting the health, safety uh, of Canadians in general, but in, uh, of youth in particular.
1: Absolutely. So there's a lot of questions to ask. We're only going to get to a few today. And again, there's so much information out there and everybody's not so sure. So why don't we start with with production? What do we know about production?
2: Well, now, in order to be able to produce uh, cannabis in Canada, and and I'm going to mix together both the medical and the recreational, uh, because I think that's the world we're going into. But for right now, in order to produce cannabis in Canada, you must have a license to produce from the Government of Canada. And it is a fairly demanding process. Um, what they're asking of companies uh, as far as security, as far as the licensing or certification of staff that work in the facilities, these are all, these are all um, regulatory hoops that the Government of Canada is asking people to go through and has caused significant delays in the licensing of production facilities. The Government of Canada about six months ago said they're changing the system in order to allow a faster licensing of production facilities to make sure that when the market does open up for um, recreational cannabis use, the production is actually going to be there. One of the things that, uh, and I think this is sometimes what's driving investment in the industry, is that it has become very clear that in the U.S. states where recreational cannabis has been legalized, and that the, the leaders in this have, have certainly been in Colorado and Washington, was that the supply did not meet the demand and the state had to scramble. Well, when we look at the Canadian potential market, it's very clear that under the current regime of locust producers, we're not going to have the supply that's going to meet the recreational demand. So the government's trying to deal with that because they don't want the black market to, to satisfy that demand. They want to have licensed producers to do it. So we're seeing the government move quite quickly to license more producers, but it's still a it's still a fairly long and still a fairly involved process.
1: So where does? imports fall into that? Because you talk about production in Canada not meeting demand. So is imports of cannabis going to play a role in that and how easy is it let's say for a producer in the US or you even mentioned Colombia, how easy is it for them to be able to import cannabis into Canada then?
2: It'll actually be very difficult. In fact, what we're finding is that the issue is in fact the opposite is that Canada will be a net exporter. Um, and that we are being seen as a country that is currently, we are uh, the world leader in exporting for the medicinal use, also for the use in research, but we're not a very large importer. And there's a couple of reasons why. In the United States, cannabis is still illegal at the federal level, and therefore you cannot ship it across state lines, and you certainly cannot ship it across international uh, borders. So right there, there's not much supply that can come into Canada. Even within Canada, it's going to be interesting to see what each province decides what to do. So, for example, in a province, they may say, we will only allow producers from our province to serve our market through our government stores or through our government sanctioned web- uh, uh, websites. So, it's going to be interesting to see what are going to be the rules around um, shipping it between provinces. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of coming in from other countries. Instead, we're, in fact, Canada is going to end up being potentially one of the single largest suppliers in the world. And as we see a number of countries following Canada's lead and adopting our rules, it's a huge strategic advantage for Canada to put the rules in place, have other countries adopt them, and then make sure that that's going to be our export market. But of course, what are the logistics and what are the rules around satisfying those markets, and those are the things that are being worked on by governments right now.
1: Absolutely, because that kind of takes me into the next point. Like, it's, and it's interesting on the import side. I mean, whether we're talking about um, it's for medicinal or recreational you know, I was kind of wondering on the medicinal side, it was if it was a little bit easier to do some imports, but it, I guess we're just going to sort of see what what happens. So let's talk about the transportation. What are the conversations mm-hmm. about the transportation of cannabis? I mean, you mentioned trucking. Um, you and I had a conversation the other day um, as to the value of the goods. You know, and that's going to play a, an important role, especially in the trucking. I mean, if if we're talking about it being produced in Canada and being um, sold in Canada and taken to the, the LCBO stores, I mean, we, we'd obviously be talking about truck, I would imagine.
2: I, I would imagine, and, and those rules. Uh, I mean, I, we're we're in discussions all the time with governments as they're trying to sort these rules out, but. Imagine if you if you would the the case in Ontario, where Ontario is going to be opening up between 40 and let's say 100 and maybe 100 120 stores. Um, they're going to need that product to be taken from the producers, the licensed producers, and they're going to need to bring that to a warehouse, from which point it can then be distributed out to all of the LCBO cannabis stores much like they would gather wine or anything else. The loan doesn't go to the individual LCBO store. It goes to a warehouse and then it's distributed. Who's going to do that distribution? And when we think about um, the value of the product and the low weight of the product, we're talking about trucks with multi-millions of dollars worth of product in the trucks going from a licensed producer to a warehouse run by LCBO and then being distributed out to all of their stores across the province. Well, there are some major security issues around having a truck full of basically millions of dollars worth of marijuana in a truck. Well, you want to make Mm -hmm. sure that the staff, the systems, the security, all of those need to be taken care of. And there's, there's two reasons. One is obviously the public safety concern, but also from the industry's perspective, the last thing they want is to have a truck go missing and have millions of dollars worth of cannabis Floating around out there in the public because that would be a public relations nightmare for these companies at the, at the early stages of an industry. I mean, anytime would be a problem, but right now, if you can imagine, you know, first truck of a pot being sold in Ontario has gone missing. Uh, that's not something, that's <laughs> not something anybody wants to deal with. So no. right now, the, the government and the, in, and the supplying industry and then the transportation industry are all trying to work together to make sure that the requirements for trucking uh, will ensure the safety of the system. The other issue that's going to come up is, well, what do you do for the certification for the personnel that are involved in the trucking? Right now, the requirements for me to go work at a licensed producer of cannabis are fairly onerous. Well, those same rules are going to apply for anybody that's working in the transportation stores or shipping. Um, well, what do we do to make sure that those rules are not so onerous that nobody can meet them and therefore nobody can Ship the material. That's not right. going to help the system. So governments everywhere are, are now in, I hate to say it, in a bit of a mad scramble, working with industry trying to say, okay, we need to make sure we've got a safe and secure system in place. You are a critical part of that. Here's what our current rules are. How can we work together to make sure that you can operate as a business, but that we can make sure that we've protected the public safety as well?
1: So, uh- in that regards, would an armored car be like an option
2: absolutely. or an armored
1: truck, I guess?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And right now, in fact, that's what's happening. And we know that there are some companies that are um, taking the, uh, either the product uh, for the medicinal side or, in some cases, live plants. And they need to send them out to different parts of their own company or to partner companies or need to ship them to overseas uh, for research purposes. And so, right now, in fact, they're using armored trucks uh, for that transportation. But once the recreational market starts, um, I think that that's going to be, that's going to place a huge demand on the trucking industry. And my guess is there's going to be some specialized companies who are going to figure out that the, the secure transportation of cannabis is in fact a niche market that they want to operate in. And, and again, I think everyone right now, given the uh, given how quickly the date's coming, uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to have this market established, a lot of people are trying to scramble around and saying, okay, how do I play a role in this to make sure that not only my operations meet the requirements of government to protect the safety and security of the public, but also how can I do this in a way in which it's a it's a successful business for me? Because if the requirements are so onerous, um, no company is going to step forward and do it because it's, it's cost prohibitive to them.
1: Yeah, and we, so we talk about the truck part, but you also mentioned that we're going to be an exporter of it. So that's ocean freight and air freight. So not only does it involve, you know, I, I guess even on an air freight shipment or an ocean freight shipment, the trucking company from producer to um, the port you know, and then the the actual container being on the vessel and then where it's going and how it's being tracked, right? Absolutely. And who knows what's in that container and who doesn't? I mean, this this could impact all sorts of areas of the supply chain um, in various different ways.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and I forget the exact number, but I believe the last year Canada exported around 750 kilograms of marijuana around the world. Um, that was mostly for research, uh, market entry for satisfying the growing international market for medicinal products. Um, but we are clearly the world leader in shipping marijuana overseas legally. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of shipment that goes on illegally still, but as far as legal shipment, Canada has become the leader, and that's growing by leaps and bounds. We have a number of successful Canadian companies who are signing deals almost every day with foreign markets to take Canadian supply because it's seen as high-quality, government-inspected, government-certified. When a country says we would like to allow medicinal cannabis or in some cases recreational, they want to make sure that that supply is a supply of good quality products that meet certain international standards. And so Canada's in a position right now where we're signing these deals, but I don't think anybody said, okay, great, what are the trucking and, 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 and transportation issues that we must address in order to satisfy those deals. And so we're finding companies right now are scrambling because they'll be approached by a company that says, I have a deal to send 500 pounds of cannabis to Germany. Can you get it there for me? And the transportation company saying, well, I'm not sure. Um, What are the rules and requirements in Canada? What are the rules and requirements in the receiving country? And how do we make sure we've met that? And so, again, everybody's scrambling. It's a great market opportunity. But how you satisfy it is, I think, where a lot of people are focusing right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I love that term, research. It's being exported for research. <laughs> um, wow. So, anyways, going into regulatory, what are you seeing as the outline of a legal regulatory framework, then?
2: So, right really know, every province is working uh, with putting together a regulatory framework uh, in – and they're identifying, I think, basically two things. One is what are the standards that are in place that the regulations tend to be based on standards. Uh what are the standards in place? And if they're not in place, how do we develop them? And then secondly, working with partners uh in the product sector to make sure that whatever they put in place, they can meet the demand that's coming like a freight train in in, in less than six months, but also make sure that they've got the partners in place that as they develop this regulatory framework, they can go back to their partners and say, does this work for you? Should we change the regulations? So you can imagine if in case, in the case of the government of Ontario, they went and said, okay, we need to do, to talk to the trucking industry and make sure that they can move products uh, within our system. And they say, great, we're going to put in certain regulations that meet certain safety or public security requirements or standards. They should go back to the industry and say, okay, this is what we want to put in place. Is this something, can you meet these regulations? Can you meet these standards? And if not, how can we work with you to make sure this is in place? Everybody's trying to work hard to make sure the system works. I don't think all the regulations will be fully defined by this summer, but they're trying to get as much in place as possible um, so that they can not only make sure the system runs well, but they've got a foundation to fine-tune the regulatory environment based on that. And again, nobody's ever done this before. So when governments are going out and consulting, you have government saying, we don't know how to do this, what do you think? And we've got industry saying, we don't know how to do this, what do you think? And somewhere in between, we're all trying to figure out what the, what the new system will look like.
1: Right, right. So are there any standards currently then? There
2: are some international standards, and, and, and uh, I used to work at the Standards Council, so I, 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 I'm fairly well versed in the background on, on standards and certainly there are standards in place for other products that are similar. So for example, the shipping of pharmaceutical products, um, there are a there's a large number of standards around that. We're trying to make sure that those can then be applied to this sector as well. But the combination of uh new products, some overarching security concerns, some some sort of public relations concerns not all the standards in place. So, in fact, uh, Canada is a leader on the two international ISO committees in which we're establishing the standards for the production, distribution, and to some degree, uh, public consumption of cannabis. And we're trying to work on those standards right now so that they can be referenced in regulation. So, to answer your question, we have some standards in place from other sectors that we can apply, but we're working on new standards that deal with this sector specifically.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, we talked about, like um, you mentioned, the pharmaceutical industry. And everything in the pharmaceutical industry, obviously, with um, the same kind of issues, you know, the, um, the mm. view of them, obviously, you don't want any to go missing. So there's a lot of trace, um, I would imagine, that's involved with pharmaceuticals. I don't have a background in that, but I would imagine that it does. So, and I'm guessing it's going to be the, the, the same case with the marijuana Um, So how will it be traced, and how far back will it go, and how do you even trace cannabis? Hmm,
2: very good question, Um, and in fact, the Government of Canada has has requested that the system, that you should be able to trace from seed to consumption, so you want to be able to go back and say, for example, um, somebody purchased some cannabis, they had a bad reaction, well, let's figure out what in that particular lot may have caused that reaction. Was there uh, some chemical residue that was on it? Uh, was there some mold issues? So what the government is requiring is that you can be able to say, if you bought lot number 1671, we can actually trace that all the way back from the government store to the licensed producer, from the licensed producer to the particular lot within the lab that was developed, all the way back to the genetics of that particular strain. They want to be able to do that for two reasons. One is obviously protecting the public safety. Uh, It's like any other product. How do we make sure that there's not an inadvertent introduction of a chemical or something else that might affect affect the end consumer? That's normal in any product, particularly in pharmaceuticals. But I think the other thing that's really important around cannabis is that it's really, really difficult to address issues around potency. And the government wants to make sure that whatever is supplied into the market meets certain restrictions with regards to potency. You can only do that if you can trace the product all the way back to the specific strain and the way that that strain was grown in order to make sure that it has a consistency and potency. There is a lot of product out there right now that you can buy which will be illegal under the new legislation, which is incredibly potent. In fact, some people might say dangerously potent. And I think that's one of the things the government's going to try to address in order to make sure that they can trace, again, make sure there's no chemicals, there's no there's no inadvertent introduction of something that's harmful, but also how do they make sure that when you go to the store and buy, let's say you buy a bottle of wine and it says it's 5% alcohol, what if it's actually 40% alcohol? What if you didn't mm-hmm. know? So it's really important that governments have that whole system to trace from seed to consumer, and of course, they're putting that in place, and, and if you want to have a license to produce and sell in, in Canada, you have to be able to demonstrate to the government that for every lot that's sold to a client, you can trace that all the way back to the originating seed source, so you can make sure that there was the, the product is safe, but also you can make sure that you can attest to the potency of that particular product.
1: Wow, but it just seems like there is so much work to do and not a lot of time, because you know, we're already into halfway through January, um, and July is kind of just around the corner if it keeps going the way that it has been because I, I keep thinking that, you know, years are going by pretty quickly. So how is the government feeling right now with that deadline looming? And we're seeing a lot of, you know, commercials and different things like that about zero tolerance. So, so what's that all about, too? And you, I
2: have two very good points. And on the first one... Um, it's incredibly complex, and I think the government is now realizing that um, in order to introduce something that is as major a change as this, this is probably the single largest social policy change in the last couple of decades, at least. And mm-hmm. so, to do that, I think the government thought that <laughs> if we allow it, it'll be fine. Well, in fact, there's a lot of the devils in the details. I mean, how do you transport it? How do you make sure the driver of the truck <clears throat> is allowed to transport it? All of these details because nobody's ever done it before they need to be worked out now so i think governments are scrambling they're trying to figure out how to make sure that um they've got a, a system in place that protects the public but at the same time doesn't restrict um the or, or doesn't prohibit meeting the public policy goal, which is let's let's stop the criminalization of people and let's make sure we're protecting young people better so you're right governments didn't realize the, the amount of detail that needs to be in place. Um, let's just take standards, for example. If you need a standard for a particular aspect of this industry, standards can take anywhere from two to five years to develop. Well, if you need a regulation based on the standard and your standard takes five years, you don't have enough time. So how do we manage that situation? So you're right, it's complex, they're scrambling. Now, what I would say is that we can use the examples of both Colorado and Washington, where they didn't have much to build on either, They managed to do it. I think that a lot of the negatives that people were thinking may happen, in fact, didn't happen. And there's there's an old saying, which is that perfect is the enemy of good. I think what we have is good legislation. We have a good system being developed. Is it perfect? No. We will work out those details. As to zero tolerance, and I use an example within the transportation sector, the government of Ontario has said that under the new system, they're proposing a zero tolerance rule. That if you work in the transportation sector and you test with any amount of THC in your blood, you will violate zero tolerance and you'll lose your driver's license. I'm not exactly sure what the, what the sanction is, but I believe it's either get a suspension or a loss of license. Well, here's the problem. Cannabis can stay in your bloodstream for up to 21 days. And if you walk by, let's say, your partner who has a prescription for medical cannabis because they have cancer... And you breathe a little bit in, and two days from now, you're out driving your truck, and you do, uh, yeah, and, and, you, and you produce a sample, and suddenly you're violated zero tolerance and you lose your license. Well, you're not losing your license because you were impaired, you're losing it because somebody introduced a rule that said X amount of chemical is not allowed in your bloodstream. So right. governments right now are scrambling trying to figure out, is zero tolerance possible? How do we enforce it? How do we test it? And what we've seen in the United States is that many cases are being thrown out of court because people have introduced zero tolerance, and the employee has gone back and said, but you fired me because of your rule, but I wasn't impaired. And right. there's no evidence that says, that in fact, I was impaired. So, so zero tolerance is going to be a, an interesting problem. What we certainly noticed in the United States is that uh, for employers, the ability to test employees, the ability to then have that stand up in court has been challenged fairly broadly and fairly successfully. So we're not sure what that's going to mean in Canada. We certainly need rules in place. I personally want to make sure that the the person driving my my daughter's school bus, uh, I want to make sure that person, you know, is, is not high. So how mm-hmm. do you do that? Is zero tolerance the best way? Um, the other thing that comes up is how do you test for that? It is very, very difficult in Canada to require people to give you a body fluid sample in order to be tested. So there's a number of rules that need to be uh, fine-tuned in Canada. Governments are working on them. But I would say that zero tolerance for drivers is certainly one that I would watch for because you can inadvertently um, not pass the test even though you were you have never been impaired. Uh, and that, I think, is going to be a huge issue.
1: Yeah, that's certainly a really, really great point. It's not like alcohol. You can actually have to take a sip of it. You could just be around it and inhale it and not really even think about it because it's somebody else that's smoking it and, and you just happen to be around. And mom, and that could have happened
2: yeah. that could have happened on the weekend and it's a week later and you had no idea. And, right, and for the twenty one days. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that brings me kind of to the last point. And will it only be available in government stores or like are they thinking online? And how would that change things? I mean, you go from a bricks and mortar retail environment to it being available online because I know some of the government stores, even for alcohol, I believe you can buy that online. So like are they doing a mixture kind of like an omnichannel type thing or, or, or what's that going to look like?
2: Mm. It right now, it depends on the, on the province you're in. Uh, provinces have all uh, put forward different regimes. So, for example, in the province of Alberta, it will be available through some product retail outlets. Uh, in the province of Ontario and Quebec, they've said that it's only going to be available through government-run stores, through, through LCBO or through uh, FAQ in Quebec, um, and so it depends on the province you have as to where it will be accessible at the community level. I think one of the important things is that if we look at Ontario, who said they're going to bring in 40 stores, 40 stores across the province of Ontario is not very many. And we're going to find a lot of people um, who don't have easy access to those stores. If the goal is to get rid of the black market and and run a sanctioned safe system, then 40 stores is going to create a problem. So what the government's done to, to address that problem is they're also going to have online sales. The questions are going to be is that when you have an online sale, how is that product distributed to the clients? Um, how do you make sure the person is of age? Um, there's a lot of issues that still need to be worked out there. And then what do you do in the case of a client, let's say, in northern Ontario? They don't live anywhere near a store. They want her to buy it online. But they really want to buy something from a producer in British Columbia. Is that allowed or not? And how do you transport the product? The other big issue that's going to come up is in roughly 18 months after the initial legalization of recreational, they're going to allow for the introduction of edibles, uh, marijuana that you don't smoke. And in the United States that's about 40% of the market. So we're going to see a number of problems are going to come up with not only how is it distributed, but also how do you transport it to distribution points or directly to clients. And so all of these things are being worked out, um, but as far as the system itself, it will be a, uh, a commercial retail outlet in every province backed up by, by uh, uh, an ability to buy online.
0: Interesting, interesting. There you have it. There is a lot that still needs to be defined, thought through, and planned to make this a success. And I guess we will see what happens. If you have any questions about this, please email Dan at Daniel R. Demers at Rogers.com. That is E L R D E M. E-R-S at Rogers.com. Thank you, Dan, for being on the show. And we look forward to doing this again once we know more. If you haven't signed up to be one of the first people to know more about my top secret supply chain project, then you don't know what you will be missing. Sign up now at www.shipsshipz.com. And remember guys, if you're inspired by what you're hearing on this podcast, it's if you're getting a lot of value please go and rate and review our podcast on iTunes. We're also available on Stitcher and Google Play, and it just so that everybody else can find us, so that we can provide more value in the supply chain community. Thank you so much for being a part of this space with us. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and remember, everybody, Ship Happens.